So my dad had a saying, and I didn't really like it, because he would use it a lot. Dad would tell me to do something, take out the trash, or, you know, I don't know, go get the car out of the garage, whatever. And I would always look at him and go, do I have to? And he would say, no, you get to. I think that's the uh, attitude that we need to have with God when he tells us to do something. And we say, do we have to? Instead of saying, do we have to, we should think in our minds, God is asking me to do something. I get to do that. I get to do that. Um, Turn with me, if you would, to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, that song, Bob's Prayer, just dead on, you know, hit the nail on the head. Uh, And and I pray that that we hear that in those words today as we turn to Jonah chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in in chapter 3, verse 10, actually, the last verse of the previous chapter. Jonah 3.10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to be alive. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that you would use, that you would use what you have given me, I think you have given me to teach and for us to learn this morning. I know, Holy Spirit, that for each one of us, if we lay down our swords and our opinions and surrender all to you, that, that you will teach us, that, that we will learn and that we will grow. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so for those that may be joining us for the first time today, five weeks ago we set out to work our way through the book of Jonah. 
Four chapters, and this morning we're down to our last two messages, two messages in chapter four. And throughout the opening chapters, we have seen the prophet Jonah in a variety of situations. We found him, first of all, running. He was running away in the opposite direction. God called him to go to the city of Nineveh. Jonah went the opposite direction. He headed for Tarshish instead. Instead of obeying God, he went in the opposite direction. We, we, we then found him sleeping at the bottom of a boat, the ship that he had stepped onto to go over to Tarshish. And then we see God hurl a storm at the ship. God hurled a storm at the ship, and the ship is about to break up, and they're trying to figure out what to do, and... and uh, Jonah's heart was so far from God, even in the midst of that, he didn't do what was right. He didn't do what would, in many ways, fix the situation, save the ship, save the sailors. He ends up, as described in chapter 2, almost drowning because he said, you guys can fix this, the storm will go away if you throw me in. They tried not to, but... God increased the intensity of the storm to the point where they finally did throw him in. And as soon as they did, the seas became calm. But Jonah begins to sink. He's drowning with seaweed closing over his mouth, almost to, to the point of suffocation. And then he finds himself in the belly of this big, giant fish which God provided for his salvation to save him, to save his life. And, we found, and then we find him in there for three days praying. And, and at least we've, we find a change in Jonah's heart to the point of now he's willing to be obedient and to go to Nineveh. Once he concedes to be obedient to God, the fish vomits him up onto dry land and he begins the walk to Nineveh. And he does in fact go as he promised and he proclaims and he preaches to this great city of Nineveh that in 40 days, God was gonna destroy it. That was his message. In 40 days, God is going to destroy this city. And if we have never heard the story told before, we might have expected that Jonah, a prophet, uh, a preacher, would have rejoiced in the fact that the city repented at, per his message. He, he proclaims this message to 120,000 people in some way, shape, or form. They all get it, internalize it, believe it, repent, and then God says, hey, you know what? I'm not going to destroy you. I'm not going to destroy you. But that's not the response that he had. I mean, this went through every aspect of government. It went to their king, the whole city. They put sackcloth on their animals. I mean, they were desperate for God. And God responded from his character and he forgave them and he did not destroy them. But what we find as chapter four opens up, but what we find as chapter four opens up is a prophet of God who is upon his success, discouraged, depressed, angry, and sulking. Really, Jonah? What is going on inside of you a sulking prophet. In fact, it is so bad that we read multiple times that Jonah wishes he was dead. 
These people repenting, turning to God, the one true God is so hard on him that he wants to die. So it is clear that the prophet, although he was called by God and given a unique place in the purposes of God, still had a lot to learn. He still had a lot to learn. When I was younger, I used to think that most people older than me were, were you know, more grown up, more mature, more, they, they knew more, um, often put pastors and teachers on a pedestal and thought they knew everything that they were supposed to know. So they just, I just need to learn from them. And when I went to seminary, I thought that. I thought, okay, look, I'm here. You guys tell me the truth. You tell me what you know. I will believe it and we'll go on. And that's actually not how seminary works. I hated it. I mean, we had to pray through that stuff and think through that stuff ourselves and figure it out. And in some theologians you read, you go, how did he come to that conclusion? You know, because you have this option and this option and this option. So did he just close his eyes and throw a dart? And it's like, okay, I'm going to believe this. I don't know. We, we pray through that kind of stuff. I found out later, having been a pastor for a few years, that that's actually not true. The pastors don't know everything that there is to know. They don't have all of the knowledge, and they are not absolutely perfect. And I hope that we all know this. I hope that we all know the fact that every human being on this planet, every one of them, doesn't matter what, where they go to school, where they went to school, how much money they have, how popular they are, it doesn't matter. We all have a lot to learn still. Everyone. No one arrives. Oh, people think they do. Um, and that's especially not fun when there are, there are people who seem to have been given the place of pointing that fact out to other people. That's actually a gift, I think, from God. Should we ever be tempted to forget that we all still have a lot to learn. Every aspect of our life is somewhere on a continuum of experience. Uh, we are all on a continuum of experience from, from novice to experienced, from immature to mature, and we all fall somewhere on that line. And we all fall somewhere different. Every one of us in here is in a different place on that line. Sometimes those people that know me think I'm really down, I'm way down here on the immaturity continuum. I think, and, I, and I think that it varies, right, on what you're doing and who you're talking to sometimes. <laughs> um, we are all at different places, which is why which is why we must work at seeing people the way God sees them. Because if we see them the way we think they should be, or we want them to be, you know, as parents, sometimes I think we fall into that. We, we, we don't want our kids to make any mistakes, so we try to teach them, or we try to answer questions that they're not even asking. Because we know that would be good for them to know, but they're not gonna actually know it or learn it until they're ready to know it or learn it. You know, as parents, we can tell our kids, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, do this, and we hope and we pray that they, they learn those lessons from us 
teaching them those lessons, not through the school of hard knocks. But we also know that in life, every one of us make terrible decisions and we ended up and we end up having to learn some of those lessons from the school of hard knocks, from, honestly, from God hurling storms at us to wake us up, to move us off our, maybe off our pedestal. God gives Jonah so many chances, doesn't he? He never, he never writes Jonah off. We see that throughout the story. When he was on the ship, when he was in the water, when he was in the fish, when he was making his way to Nineveh. And even now as he sulks, God is engaged with him. God hasn't just said, you're on your own, buddy. He's still, he's, he's growing plants. He's killing plants. He's trying to teach Jonah. He's trying to, to grow him. And God does that very same thing to us. He could have written Jonah off when he was on the ship or when he was in the water or when he was in the fish or even now as he sulks. God could have let the ship sink. He could have let Jonah drown. He could send a lion right now to eat him. After he concluded his message and he was sitting up on the hillside pouting and seething in anger. But no, God, praise God for being so patient as he helps us learn and grow in our journey, in our pilgrimage. We too often have the same attitude as Jonah though, right? And, and where does that attitude come from? Where does it find its footing? Where does it grow from? And I think from the text we can gain a little bit of understanding there. God asked Jonah two questions. He, uh, one he asks twice, and one he asks one time. In verse four and again in verse nine of chapter four, God asks him this question. Do you have a right to be angry? Do you have a right, Jonah, to be angry? Do you have the right? And the other question that God asks is, should I not be concerned about that great city? Let's take the first question. God says, do you, Jonah, have the right to be angry? And of course, he certainly thinks he does. Yes, would be his answer, and it happens to us too. I'm amazed and have been amazed as we've gone through the, I've known the story of Jonah my whole life. Even studied it a while back here on Sunday mornings. But this happens to us too and the book of Jonah seems to be a mirror into our very own lives and I pray that we don't miss the lessons as we study through this. And right here, we see one of the main causes of anger, I think, in our entire world. And it's this, anger is often born out of our feeling of injustice. Now, note in there, I said, I used the word feeling. We think this isn't fair, or that isn't fair. Think about times you have been angry in the last month. Where did that grow from? Where did that come from? I wish we could all say that it grew from a place of righteousness, that it was righteous anger. There is that. I'm not sure that I have ever experienced it. I, I don't know. I think as a human being, it'd be pretty arrogant for us to say, 
this is righteous anger. I think anytime we're angry, we need to step back and say, God, you need to help me here. Help me. Because we're told that righteous anger is good, but if you find yourself thinking often that all you ever experience is righteous anger, I think you better reevaluate your definition of righteous. Because we'll, we'll, the, the enemy will try to get us to justify everything that we do. Every attitude we have, every action we take. And if we lash out in anger and we justify the anger, then we're going to justify the way that we lashed out and say, that was justifiable. I think our anger more often than not comes from a sense of injustice or a sense of entitlement. You get angry at a basketball or football game because the ref made, in your opinion, a bad call that wasn't fair to your team. Now, some of you, some of you are like, who would ever do that? <laughs> Trust me, that happens every day, somewhere in the world. Somebody thinks a ref or a judge or someone else treated them unfairly and there's this act of injustice and we get angry. We get angry. Or you think that you're entitled somehow to a group of barely older than teenage boys playing a perfect game with no mistakes and that the coach should call the exact plays needed every time because you feel like it's only fair that your team win every game. Again, you laugh at that, but it happens every day. And when we get, when we find ourselves being pulled into that, we gotta say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute, seriously. And I know, <laughs> it's just a game. You don't know how hard that was for me to say those words. <laughs> right? But seriously, it's just a game. And we often forget that those are 12 and 13-year-olds. Those are 15 and 16-year-olds. Those are 21-year-olds. Some of them are 21-year-olds who have just been given millions of dollars. I probably wouldn't act maturely if somebody just gave me a million dollars. I mean, there are lots of other things out there. Um, one people group perceives that another people group has treated their people group badly and they get angry. That's a serious overgeneralization. But, uh, and you know specifically places where that is true. Or, or, or some people group when someone in their community is killed in the custody of police and it's because of a bad policeman. Because that there are <coughs> prejudiced policemen. Unfortunately, everybody tends to lump them all together in that group and that's not the case. But what happens in our country, especially we've seen it in the last 10 years, when, when, when there is a perceived, and I'm, some of those it is, it is injustice. But sometimes it's perceived injustice. And what happens? They get angry. 
And what happens when we get angry as a group? We get destructive. Many times we get destructive. And we need to be cautious about that too. I think seldom our anger is righteous and our actions in light of that anger can be profoundly wrong. Now, the Ninevites were indeed an evil people. Evil people. They committed atrocities against Israel, against all of their enemies, women, children, babies. Horrible, horrible things. And so you can imagine what Jonah was thinking in his mind, right? When after 40 days, there's no destruction. God said he was gonna, and then he didn't. And I can't help but think Jonah's thinking a little bit, and it's all my fault. What are all my fellow Israelites gonna say? Oh, sure, Jonah, you went and saved our enemies. Great job. But if they think that and they put that against Jonah, they're putting their differences with the wrong person. And Jonah's thinking, it isn't fair. They should be destroyed. We, we, might even, we might even describe Jonah's anger as righteous and justified. But that isn't God's perspective. And we can all thank him that that isn't his perspective. His message struck home and the people changed. And wouldn't you think that he would be grateful for his own life, for for the second chances that God gave him, and the grace that he received, and for the success of his mission. But Jonah wants the destruction of Nineveh, and because they didn't get destroyed, and because of his horrible attitude, Jonah himself experiences tragedy in his life. That's what happens when, and, and tragedy might be a harsh word, maybe even discomfort, or God... Look, God's not going to allow us to continue to live our life with a bad attitude. If we're disobedient to him, if our attitude is crummy against him, what is he going to do? I would expect him to do exactly what he did to Jonah. He's going to hurl a storm at you. He's going to put a roadblock. He's going to put up some hurdles to snap us out of it because we need it. We often need snapped out of it. Jonah is perplexed that in his obedience, the result wasn't what God said it was going to be. It causes him to wrestle. It causes us to wrestle too. We're forced to wrestle with questions that every generation has wrestled with. Even though Jonah went where he was told to go, and even though he said what he was told to say, he was clearly himself not in harmony with the plan that God had. A gracious plan, a a plan of grace. This is a challenge for all of us, and when it happens, we are truly missing out. When we don't have the attitude that I get to do this, instead I have to do this, and there are those times when we do something simply because we have to. There are times when we should do something even though we don't want to because it's, it's, it's the obedient thing to do. Like 
driving 30 miles an hour through the town of Lingle. That is something you should want to do every day. Because there can be consequences when you don't. And instead of grumbling every time you drive through Lingle or Torrington or whatever town it is and you have to slow down, why not think about the children's lives that you're saving because you slowed down and if somebody were to run in the street, you could actually stop in time. And I don't know how many times I've pulled down the street down here and I see somebody coming down the hill and they're not going 30. And what is my thought? Where's Indra? Right? Because I want justice. And to me, if you're not following the law, there should be consequences. And that's what Jonah's thinking. And that's what we think often when we deal with people that do things that we don't think they should. And fortunately, we forget that we do things that we shouldn't also. And when we have a lack of grace towards other people, we put ourselves in the exact same place where Jonah is right here. And sometimes that's a hard lesson to learn, but it's one that we need to be challenged with and that we need to learn in our own lives. So what do we do? Where do we start? The first thing is to realize that we're doing it. We get so used to that that that's just how we act. That's just who we are. We're not gracious. We're not forgiving. We don't have patience with people. Or we obey out of obligation instead of a want to, and it will happen. And let me tell you, that is better than the alternative because that's where we must start. I still don't think, I, I'm still not sure today I find the joy in taking out the trash. But it's something that needs to be done. It's something that has to be done. And, and you could apply that to anything you, do in, anything you do in life. Is there a way, God, is there a way that you could help me find joy in this? But I, and I think we miss out on so much when we are out of sync with God. Jonah's wrestling with an issue that we each must face. It is a supreme issue. It, it keeps us out of sync with God if we don't understand this issue. We, we've, we found it every week in the book of Job as we studied through the book of Job. And we find that exact same thing here in the book of Jonah. It is a question that all who are on a journey of faith will ask sooner or later, usually sooner. It's the question of the sovereignty of divine grace. God's sovereignty of divine grace. Sounds like a big and deep theological concept, doesn't it? Well, it is big. And it isn't something that us mortals could ever fully understand. But it is something that humans struggle with. And maybe you're thinking, you know what? I don't think that the sovereignty of divine grace is a is a matter that is number one or even in my top five of concerns. I mean, I, maybe you came here thinking you were gonna get you know, the, the, the best four ways to be grateful over Thanksgiving or you know, um, five keys for husbands to be the best husband or something like that. You know, maybe you're, you're thinking, maybe you're thinking to yourself, give me some nuts and bolts. Well, I'm telling you, this one right here, I hope that after today you think, I didn't realize how important that was, God's sovereignty of divine grace. 
The, the real issue of God's dealing with humanity is this matter of grace. God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. He said this to Moses, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's our God. It's up to him. Jonah knew it, Abraham knew it, Jacob knew it, Joseph knew it, Daniel knew it, Peter knew it, the disciples knew it, and, and that is what Paul was teaching in Romans chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, when he says this, what then shall we say, is God unjust? Not at all, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. And we have so much difficulty with that. I do. We live in a production culture. You do this, you work hard, you get this. You don't show up to work, you show up late, so many, then you're, you know what, we'll find somebody else that, that may be a little less true today than it was five years ago. But this is what Jonah was wrestling with, and, and he's losing, unfortunately, as he's struggling through this. To Jonah, God's grace and forgiveness of the Ninevites was unjust. So he's angry, he's arguing, and he is praying simultaneously. <laughs> Which is not easy, incidentally, to be angry and prayerful at the same time. There's, see, there's just, a too, there's just a bit too much of Jonah here. So let's be aware of this happening to us as well. Jonah thinks he knows better. It, it, it becomes a matter of Jonah's word against the Lord's word and we've all been there right now I know Lord Jesus that the Bible says this but my feeling is this I'd like to go with my feeling if that's okay with you I know that it says this clearly but actually I have another approach to it and we don't say it or think it exactly like that but our actions prove our heart and our mind and that is often true we need to be cautious that we don't have a double standard like Jonah did he has a standard for himself and the people of God and he has a standard for the Ninevites he has a standard for Israel and then he has another standard for foreigners and enemies of God's people how they are to be judged and it was okay for God to forgive Jonah's disobedience, but not in Jonah's mind, just as right for God to show his mercy to the Ninevites. In fact, it's, it's, this, it's like this is what Jonah was saying. I kind of I like it, God, that you are kind and compassionate towards me, got me out of that dreadful problem there where I was about to drown, but I don't like this idea of your kindness and your compassion being shown to, you know, them. After all, this Assyrian power, God, is an enemy of your people. These are bad people, God. I mean, when, when I went there to pronounce judgment, 
I was pumped about it because I said, let it fall, let it burn. Let it rain down on them fast and hard, but God, I don't expect you to be compassionate to them. I mean, they're not even monotheistic like us. They don't pay attention to the law of Moses like us. They don't bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of God, obeying the Shema in De Deuteronomy 6. They don't observe the various codes and, and shibboleths and, and actions of an existence of those who are the true people of God. God, why would you be merciful to them? And the answer to that question is, what? It is the sovereignty of God's grace. He is gracious to who he wants to be gracious to. Jonah forgot that God is God and he is not. We need to remember that. He forgot that he was already and would be many times thereafter the recipient of God's grace. That's you and me. As we carry out the call God has put on each and every one of our lives, let's remember that we too are recipients of God's grace. Now, whenever we find ourselves thinking like Jonah did, then it will be clear that we have forgotten just how undeserving we are to be the recipients of God's grace. I mean, I, I haven't cheated on my wife and I haven't murdered anybody and um, I drive the speed limit most of the time <laughs> and we build up this righteousness in our own mind and we compare ourselves to other people and we think that they need a lot more grace than I do but that's not true it's not true The grace of God had flowed to the people of Israel in ways contrary to human reasoning. And what I mean by that is, it's been summarized by people in, the, in this little phrase, how odd of God to choose the Jew. Now, I've never heard that before, but I heard it from a preacher who sounded like he knew a lot of things. And he said, how odd of God to choose the Jew. And he said, it's not an anti-Semitic statement, it's simply an expression of the fact, how in the world, God, did you choose this group of people? Why didn't you choose that group of people or that group of people? Why did you choose this group of people? On what basis? On what basis did you choose the Jews? What is the answer? It's in Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses seven and eight. We're gonna put it up here. He gives the description, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, because the Lord loved you. It's the sovereignty of God's grace. And that is exactly how he has chosen you too. Out of the sovereignty of his grace. A Scottish theologian said, ultimately divine grace towards sinners 
cannot be understood. It does not have a reason. It simply reflects the way God is. Let me say that again. Ultimately, divine grace towards sinners cannot be understood. It truly is amazing grace, isn't it? And we can't put enough amazing in that word amazing as it concerns the grace of God. It doesn't have a reason. It simply reflects the way God is. There is nothing that you or I could do that could somehow put a big enough bright star in God's eyes to have him want to save us. It's not that. Now, despite the fact that Jonah had so recently been the recipient of God's compassion that he'd been on the receiving end of God's mercy, still here we find him finding fault with God for displaying that same mercy that he has now already experienced to other people. In other words, he had created categories in his mind and he had determined that God's plan and purpose was centered only in a certain way towards a certain type of category of people. So does Jonah have the right to be angry? No, no, Jonah does not have the right to be angry. Do we have the right to be angry when God shows his mercy and grace towards someone else that we have been opposed to for a long time? No, no, we do not. We do not have the right to be angry with God because he is sovereignly merciful and gracious to others. May we repent of that attitude. May we trust God's actions and mercy. Oh, almost had him. And may we trust his actions in our lives as well because there are times when God steers us in a certain direction or God gives us a certain command that we think, whoa, 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 uh -uh. no, that's not good for me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to experience that. We need to remember that God loves us perfectly. Perfectly. Never a doubt, ever, ever a doubt that God loves us perfectly. And in addition to being opposed to how God blesses and forgives others, we, we object to how he deals with us. God is, God is patiently trying to teach Jonah a lesson as he sits in the hot sun on that hill. He provides a plant. I mean, Jonah had to know something was going on, right? Plants don't grow that fast, that big. That like freak you out? I mean, it freaked me out. I'd be sitting there, you know, and he built a shelter so he had some kind of shade. I don't know what he built it out of. Sticks, maybe. And all of a sudden you notice there's this plant like growing. I mean, when it's hot and it's quiet, like in Iowa, there's so much humidity in there. You can, at night, you can hear corn grow. You can hear it grow, but you can't see it. This plant grows, provides shade. He had to know something was up. He's teaching him some kind of lesson. He provides the thing and then, I mean, I would call it a storm. To teach him, to, to lead him in the way that he should go. The, you see, the clay does not have the right to tell the potter that you're not doing it right. 
So we submit and we surrender, even when we don't like what God is doing in the midst of our pilgrimage with him. Many times we experience difficult things in our lives because God is trying to teach us something. He's trying to get our attention. He's, he's trying to steer us in a particular direction. You know, when, when my youngest daughter was trying to decide on what, what uh, master's degree program to go, where, where to go to school, she applied to the University of Minnesota and the University of Wyoming and, and, and Baylor University in Waco, Texas, and Baylor is like a gazillion dollars. And I'm like, uh, it's a no-brainer. You go to UW, way cheaper. You're not going to be paying for this the rest of your life. For one year, it's like $40,000. Oh, that's ridiculous. UW's like six. So we're praying, right? We're praying, God, you know what door you want her to walk through. Well, she only applied to U of M because her sister lives there and wanted her to, and she got accepted to that one, but she's like, no way, I'm not going there, it's too cold. <laughs> of all the people that say they're allergic to the cold, she actually is. She breaks out into hives. So she's not going there. So I'm like, well, okay, yeah. She gets the acceptance letter to Baylor. I'm like, Baylor? She gets rejected by Wyoming. Rejected. She got her undergrad there for crying out loud. Are you kidding me? You rejected my daughter. <laughs> I'm angry over the injustice of it all and my perception of this is not gonna cost me, it's gonna cost her because she's paying for it herself. But we prayed, right? We prayed that God would do what God would do, that he would make it clear and obvious. She gets her first bill via email. She shows it to me. I about pass out. And I said, is this is before or after they apply all the scholarships? She's like, I don't know. To make a long story short, um, God directed her into an internship program which she had to take, which was required. And that internship program, her, her advisor had applied for a grant and her advisor had told her that it may include $700 a month, you know, stipend, and we're like, woo. <laughs> okay, I was like, woo. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, Brittany asked again, hey, did you find out? She said, yeah, I was just getting ready to send out an email. The, the grant came through, we got it. Um, you're gonna get the $700 a month stipend and it covers all of your tuition. Okay, God, I get it. <laughs> See, we can't be afraid of the answers that we get if we surrender to him and he says, if he said go there and, and, and oh, $40,000, I mean, I'd be like, God, what are you doing? But he's gonna figure that out and, and, and he just like, if he opens a door and it's clear that we're to walk through that door, we better not turn around and look for another door. Many times difficult things in life, questions, whatever, God is trying to work those things out. 
and, and many times the reason that we are where we are in our spiritual pilgrimage is because somewhere along the line something happened to us or through us that we did not approve of or we did not like and we were angry with God because in his permissive will he allowed it in the first place. Why is this happening to me? Why do I have this? Why do I have that? God, what are you doing? Trust me, he knows what he's doing. We thought that when we committed our lives to Christ, we were going to have the perfect marriage, yet it crumbled and, and we're angry. We thought that we were going to be the absolute per perfect parents and we found it to be a royal struggle and we get angry. We thought that as a result of putting God first in Matthew 6, when it says all these other things would be added, would have to do with finance and status and significance and with resource, and we have found that that is not the case. And the chances of us being able to have any kind of meaningful retirement seemed to have dimmed on us a long time ago, and we are angry with God because God has chosen to act in us and through us in a way that either we do not understand or we do not approve of. And so because the Lord has failed to meet Jonah's expectations, Jonah decides to sulk and be angry. Oh, Lord, take my life away, he says in verse 3. And he repeats that multiple times. It is better for me to die than to live. So God says, okay, thanks for all that, Jonah. Let me just come back to you and let me come back to you with a straightforward question because it is clear that you're not thinking straight and the Lord replies in verse four, have you the right to be angry? God is asking you that question this morning. Do you have the right to be angry? Someone asked a pastor during a question and answer time at a conference, is it ever right for the Christian to be angry with God? I thought his answer was great. He, said, he says, though it can be understandable that in our Christian pilgrimage we, could, we would be angry with God, I don't believe it is actually ever right. So while it is understandable, it's not right. You see, the Lord is not asking, are you angry? He says, I know you are, but I want to ask you, have you the right to be angry? So I want, to all of us, I want to challenge all of us this week with that question. Do we have, do I have the right to be angry when things don't go our way, when it seems that God is not acting on our behalf, when, when tragedy or difficulty happens in our life? Do we have the right to be angry when God forgives someone who we yet in our own hearts have not yet forgiven? Do we have the right to be angry? I pray that we don't find ourselves in the shoes of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Last week we did the first half of that. Next week we're going to do the second half of that as we talk about the, God's amazing grace. And we're going to tackle that second question that God asked Jonah, should I not be concerned for that great city next week? 
a grace that we see in the action with Jesus came. He came in human form to save us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. God, help us, help us to, to truly submit and surrender ourselves to you. God, help us to not justify disobedience. Help us to not justify anger, unforgiveness, discouragement and discontent. God, help us instead to recognize that we have these feelings and help us to lay those things down at your feet and to learn from you. Help us to trust you with every step that you have for us to take. Help us to trust you that this hurdle, this, this thing that is before me is, is maybe from you. Maybe it's the action in, that we need to take in the midst of that that is from you. We need to hold on to you. And Father, I pray that, that you would help us to, it, it may start with that initial obedience, even when we don't feel it or want to. But God, help us not to live our, all of our life that way. Help us to understand that you do have a plan, that, that, that your sovereign grace is going before us. Help us to trust it. Help us to know it. Help us to experience it. And help us to have a version of that grace for all of those out there who don't think or believe or act the same way that we do. So that just maybe they too would know and experience the sovereign grace of a God that loves them and did what was necessary to save them. In Jesus' name, amen.